0: Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology, and I'm Renee Sills. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Jennifer Mullen. She is a full time psychologist and the founder of Decolonizing Psychology, where she works to decolonize therapy by creating spaces to call mental health professionals in to reassess their education and begin to question the relatability of the mental health industrial complex to the people they serve. Dr. Mullen is deeply committed to healing people and organizations by addressing how mental health is affected by systemic inequities, particularly for queer, indigenous, black, brown people of color. Dr. Mullen has talked at length about her work with decolonizing therapy in many of her other podcast appearances, so, we didn't get too deep into what decolonizing therapy is in this conversation but you can find links to her other podcast interviews from her Instagram page at decolonizing therapy. And I definitely recommend listening to them because she goes in depth into what a decolonizing approach is and why it matters. And depending on which of her interviews you listen to, you can hear her address her approach in relationship to mental health and black culture, ancestral healing, intuition, or addiction and recovery. Through her Instagram, you can also find links to her numerous written articles and interviews. Dr. Jen gave me permission to look at her natal chart so I could bring astrology into our conversation. And let me tell you, her chart is incredible. There are so many aspects in her chart that illustrate the love and power she brings into her work with ancestral and collective healing. So in our conversation, I was interested in exploring some of these signatures that describe generational themes of dismantling and disrupting oppression and collective movement towards transformative justice. We also talked about her work with groups and young people, the connections between trauma and intuition and some of her current work that focuses on sacred rage and how she understands the potential for rage to empower and heal. I also want to let you know that next month's Embodied Astrology Libra Season Workshop fundraiser proceeds will go towards supporting access to Dr. Mullen's work for queer and trans black indigenous people of color. These funds provide free and discounted decolonizing therapy and ancestral healing coaching sessions with Dr. Mullen and her colleague Anissa Holliday for QT BIPOC folks. Registration for the Libra Season Workshop is by donation, and in it, you will learn how to locate Libra in your chart and interpret its house placement and ruling planets. We'll explore Libra through simple somatic awareness practices to help us orient and attune with the Libra ruled parts of our bodies. And we'll balance and harmonize the parts of ourselves that resonate with Libra's needs for collaborative partnerships, peacekeeping, beauty-loving, and skillfully navigating relationship in a world full of opposition and difference. You can find more information about the workshop and registration in the show notes or from embodiedastrology.com. And you can also donate directly to support decolonizing therapy, and that link is in the show notes. Before we get into the conversation, I want to offer a deep and heartfelt thank you to all of the Embodied Astrology subscribers. Your monthly donations make this podcast possible. If you like this show and want to be a contributor and get lots of cool subscriber perks, go to embodiedastrology.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about as an astrologer is kind of like, thinking a lot about this um, intersection or relationship between what's happening in the collective and what's happening for individuals. Mm. And so you are a person who I, um, you know, would would say like works really deeply with the collective. You have this huge social media presence and I know you do a lot of um, group facilitation work and you're the coordinator of um, uh, the pure education program at the university you work for. Mm. Um, but then I know that you also do private client and one-on-one work, and so I'm curious about how you see this interplay relationship between the individual and the collective, and also within your role as a public figure, kind of how you understand your work with individuals and with collective energy.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to sit with it for, like, <laughs> it just feels, it's a really good question. Um, well, first, if, if I looked at my role in things, um, it's so funny. I'm so, I'm honored to hear that, you know, as, as a public figure. And and I keep thinking of people throughout the last few years that are like, I'm not a public figure. What do you mean? Or I don't want anybody, you know? And then realizing that we don't always get to choose that, mm-hmm. right? right? Like, I think that the collective, and I would even dare say, um, well, for me, like my ancestors or our team, like, Besides that, you know, for me, it's like my spiritual team has like decided, okay, well, we need your voice right now and it's going to come through you for these reasons. And this needs to happen because blank, 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 blank. Um, And so I wish that I would have had a really beautiful proposal like that when when I was pushed into the work. (laughs) But really, it was it was personally became the personal and the collective that balance I think it is consistently a tightrope walk. You know, I think it is consistently um, being renegotiated. I think it's consistently a process of asking myself how much is too much? Um, How much do I need to pull it back? Um, How much do people need to hear from someone else? Um, It's almost like this half psychological, half intuitive dance, Mm -hmm. uh, personally, Um, where I'm consistently thinking about where my voice is needed, where my physical body may be needed. um, um, And where do I need to leave more space in my own life? And um, if that sounds ambiguous, I feel like because it consistently is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a consistent, um, beautiful alchemy between um, being a therapist and knowing that I have a deep love for the work and my craft and because of that, I'm a critical lover in a crit- and I provide critical feedback for not only in my humble opinion, of course, but also what I've noticed in the people in which I serve and have served for the last 18 years or what have you, um, what has been missing. And when I think about the collective, I think about how so many people on this planet at this time are not having their needs met. When we think about needs not being met, what is the response, right? What is that response when people's, when, when, when an individual's needs are not met? So like babies might cry or babies, you know, might throw their rattle or a toddler is like throwing a tantrum in the middle of a store to the dismay of a mother. But then you have a teenager, then they're acting out and sneaking out after, I'm generalizing, but you know, and then when I think of adults and I think of the collective, oh, whoa. Then you have like enough is enough, yeah. you know like that then we're going to take what we need. you know, we're going to take what we need, and we're going to ensure that um, people are safe. We're going to ensure that our future generations are safe, or at least have some ground or foundation to be building safety upon. Um, and so the other thing that comes up for me as well is just also constant like negotiating and not in a like super capitalistic like I have to negotiate this way but negotiating how much do I need space for myself to ground and connect and disconnect because I'm a natural I think extrovert I think you know I, I generally like I get nervous but even as a kid like my parents would put me in dancing school whether it were free classes whatever we could afford you know and they'd be like she's a ham she's a little ham she loves it and I'd be like you know, up there like dancing, but I hated it beforehand. Like I would always get this like anxiety and I would cry and I would whine and I'm like, why do they want me up there? And so there's a part of me that still feels like that, yeah. you know? And checking myself and saying, wow, what a beautiful privilege that people may want to hear from you right now. Mm-hmm. And wow, um there's a part of you that also wants to like just go within and hide. And that's okay, but that's because this work is bigger than you, Jen. You know, this, this work is bigger than us and this work is bigger than so many of us. And my hope is um, truly in being a good ancestor, even while I'm living, is to make sure that the work, uh, the way I see it is kind of like a river. Like, yes, maybe I'm talking about decolonizing therapy and ancestral trauma and ancestral healing, but I want it to, you know, they expect it to splinter off and to grow and for other people to drink from those waters and to have even better, bigger ideas and to say, Hey, no, this is how it has to work. And, um, I hope to be older and gray and be sitting back in my rocking chair with my beer or something and be like, yeah, (laughs) like, you know, like, like, yeah, that's how it should be. So maybe I'm going off on a tangent. I'm not sure, but, um, that's what comes up for me, the individual and the collective. That's what comes up is this, like, constant negotiation and renegotiation constantly honoring that i'm ever evolving and the people i am serving are ever evolving um and it's funny that you brought up the peer group because um it saved my life in in undergrad like i was like i'm not going to college and my mother's like oh you're going to college if you're staying in this house like "Mm -hmm." you know whatever and so i went and then i encountered this group and here was this like queer down to earth, cool, gay, white man, like holding space for all these students of color and talking about like alcoholism in the home and domestic violence and essentially intergenerational trauma without knowing it, you Mm -hmm. know? And here we all are all together talking about our traumas and holding space for each other as we're having losses and violent assaults and things Mm -hmm. are happening to us and we just kept surviving. Yeah. You know, and that for me at like 19, maybe 20, right? 20 to like 23, 24 was cataclysmic, right? It was um, beautiful, scary, intense. Um, Literally, there'd be 30 of us at a retreat center once a semester with him for hours at a time, sobbing, crying, listening, falling asleep, you know, dancing afterwards, you know, like just... um, realizing that oh this is what community is and even to this day if somebody were to call me from back from 1999 even if I haven't spoken to them which happens when we get together and they're like oh I'm separating with my wife or my child is sick or it's fine we're we're back where we were like we still have that community and so giving that back to my community and giving that back to other queer, black, brown students. So we have tons of like Arab, Filipino, all the different African, Latinx, Caribbean, um, you know, um, migrant students from Africa, like, uh, like where I live is very, 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 very diverse. And so it's almost not fair because they teach me every day. They teach,
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, so it's beautiful to give back. Um, and that's coming to an end due to funding you know, Oh, really? like, yeah. So like, it's, it's crazy to say that, like it's crazy to say it and it's very intense. Sorry. I didn't mean to say crazy cause I don't like that word, but rather like synchronistic um, to be able to sit here and hear you say
0: that. And I'm like, Phew.
1: and here I am in another season of my life okay. where, you know, it's being let go of.
0: Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. I wasn't aware that that was happening. Do you yeah. um, have plans to continue working with young people? in the future. Well,
1: yeah, I mean I think it's like part of what I do and it yeah. keeps me keeps me honest, keeps me grounded, you know, and they keep it current and um definitely I think I work with everybody. It just yeah. feels like whoever I don't know if you feel that way too, but you know, it's like who we're supposed to work with finds us. Yeah. And um even even when doing like some consulting work for decolonizing therapy and working with like these organizations that are doing work with youth I'm also realizing, oh wow, I'm impacting the youth by making sure these staff or mental health specialists or therapists are really thinking about the systems too. Yeah, yeah. Or thinking about spirituality or thinking about culture. Um, So I feel so really grateful and blessed to be in a place where I can give and be of service in a way that fulfills me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I hope that answered answered some of your (laughs)
0: questions. Yeah. I mean, it answered some and brought up others, you know, (laughs) as a a good answer will. Um, I'm I'm curious, I've um, heard you in other podcasts describe yourself as a dismantler and a disruptor, um, Mm -hmm. especially within the field of psychology. And I'm wondering if you can talk about this role of being a disruptor and how you feel yourself embodying that role and what that means to you.
1: Hmm. I love your questions, Renee. Like, ooh, I love it. Great. <laughs> yeah, because they just have to come from like, whew, from within. You know, it's not like overly heady. Um. To be honest, um, a bit, like I was saying before, I'm very clear now. I wasn't. Maybe if you would have asked me a year ago, I'd be like, no, that's not true. But I'm very clear now that I'm like exactly where I should be, and we all are even if it's like really rocky and heavy and grief filled and rage filled or whatever it is. Um, and not in a bypassing way either. Like, I'm just really, really clear that my personality with my parents and everything that was happening in my life growing up has all come full circle and I'm witnessing this play out even my own personal microcosm and this can sound super like egotistical and narcissistic but I don't mean it in that way I mean it in an expansive way that and I'm now looking at the collective and I'm like I feel like I've been here before like (laughs) like like what's happening collectively like I feel like this this um collective trauma this Mm -hmm. collective grief the collective rage that ebbs and flows with the grief um, the collective feelings of even acknowledging our fear and vulnerability that we don't know what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. and even the the, the the best people that should be able to forecast this can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel steady and grounded, and also growing up in so much chaos, to be quite frank, I feel like it's also prepared and being you know um, a person of color <laughs> I feel like has also prepared me for all of this uncertainty as much as I think I'd like to control things. And that's how like the school education system and, and you know, mental health system has like conditioned me to like control realizing that it is all such a effing illusion. Like we don't control shit, you know? (laughs) And, um, the disruptor dismantler part. Um, I think that I've been that way and it has been just part of my personality since I was a kid you know, um, even my dad, if my dad ends up listening to this, it's perfectly fine at this point. Cause we've made a lot of great steps towards love and forgiveness and peace. And we have a relationship, which is real good. Um, but from a really young age, he was, um, you know, pushing those limits, like treating me like an adult, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a kid and I'd push back and be like, that's not, there no like here's your mirror (laughs) Mm. so i think that being a mirror for people at a very young age and then getting like the 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 what is the word i want to use like the punishment or the consequence of being a mirror for adults that weren't even looking into their own mirrors um i got used to sort of being too much quote quote right quote unquote i got used to holding stuff that I probably shouldn't have held for people. Um, I think I got used to also taking care of a lot of people and then learning to undo that and then not be like a receptacle for just pain all the time. Like as an, like as a truly empathic, truly empathic person, realizing that I can care about someone and I'm not even thinking of them. And then all day long I'm holding their energy, Mm -hmm. you know, because maybe they shared something with me and like, so how do I negotiate that? So I think as a disruptor and a, someone that's here to help dismantle things. Um, My growth has allowed me to do, I hope, I hope some of that with a lot of love Mm. and a lot of compassion, you know, not not just like tearing it down without cause that might've been me in my teenage years and my (laughs) twenties. Like, I don't care. I don't care who it affects. Like this is just, this is this bullshit. It's going down, you know, but every institution and structure, I'm not lying to you, Renee, that I have been in, even when I said, Nope, not saying anything sitting on my <laughs> hands literally, literally even last month like every structure that i have loved or, or teachers or spiritual teachers or like anyone that i've been like okay this is it i get to just be myself i get to be held i get to be taken care of yes that happens and i have somehow been in the mix of having to shine a big flashlight to injustice or violence or pain happening in that structure or institution or relationship. And um it's fucking exhausting sometimes, Renee. (laughs) It's exhausting. And and so now I'm learning I don't have to. um, And I might still be there, like in some recent events, um, with all love, things came about and they needed to because harm was being done in our in our spiritual community. Um and I decided, you know, I'm gonna speak last. Even if I know what I need to say. And I know what needs to be said to crack this open. I am just going to sit back and allow other people to also hold some of his rage or to hold some of his sadness. Um, so I'm learning how to do that a little bit better in a way that doesn't exhaust me and deflate me where I'm like a used up balloon on the floor. Does this make any sense? Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. Um, So for anyone else out there that feels like they have that uh-huh. <laughs> within them mm-hmm. um, and again uh, as in, i would say in my 30s and now in my 40s i'm not there like purposely looking for this mm-hmm. rather it, it just like it's illuminated and it's like oh and then i try not to see it and then months later it's still there and i'm like no 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 please <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> and then and then it's like oh and sometimes it gets worked out beautifully when the other people are receiving and they're mm-hmm. willing to hear with love um, sometimes I need to accept in here with love, which is mm-hmm. why I loved working with my students because some, they're like, you know, we got to call you in Dr. Jen. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be one of those fucking days. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't say that to them, but in myself, like in your head, you mm-hmm. have to learn how to receive. I'm like, okay, what do you need from me before we even start this conversation? And that's what I wish people would do more. Like it's part, I think of the human experience to be called in mm-hmm. and sometimes to be called out if we're really doing that much harm. You know, um, but to be told about ourselves so that we can see how we're perpetuating unfairness or colorism or something that's unsafe for people. Like I think it is important to be called in. Um, and if you're going or you are a person that is a disruptor, a dismantler, or naturally cannot just sit on your hands when um there is a lot of unfairness around you, I think it's also important to learn how to receive. Yeah. And to receive that feedback when need be.
0: Yeah. Mm, thank you so much for that answer. I asked you before we, we started talking today if it would be all right for me to bring in some astrology. Is that yeah. okay? Um, so as you're talking and um, also kind of the, the reason why I asked that question, hoping you would lead into it with your answer, which you totally did. <laughs> um, I've been looking at some g- what are called generational aspects in your chart Um, so generational aspects are the outer planets, uh, slower moving planets that could take anywhere from like 80 some to 200 and something years to orbit the sun. Um, and there are two in particular Uranus and Pluto. Um, and when you were born in the 1970s, Uranus was in Scorpio and Pluto was in Libra. Mm. And this, um, these kind of generational signatures, what I might call signatures, um, can manifest in obviously many different ways. There are a lot of people <laughs> your your age group, um, but so some of the key words uh, for Uranus are disruptor, dismantler, liberator. I've heard you use a lot of those words, um, and what Uranus, uh, what what it's it does and its symbolism is to break things apart and push Mm -hmm. things out of places of stagnancy Um, and especially when there have been forms that have been built that have become too confining or too rigid um or that are somehow you know blind to themselves what uranus does is is goes like okay this has to crumble down and when you were talking about being a reflecting force it was part of what i was thinking about Um, and so when Uranus is in Scorpio, it does this dismantling, um, liberating work in a sign that, first of all, is very associated to the field of psychology. Um, Scorpio is a water sign; it rules the deep water, of deep feelings, uh, trauma, um, entanglements, deep emotions, um, also power and power dynamics, and hierarchies and attachments. Um, and you have Uranus in Scorpio in your third house, which is the place of conversations, <laughs> the, the mind, thoughts, words. Um, and then you're also part of the Pluto and Libra generation. And so Pluto is a um, kind of a transformational force. And okay. I think one of the ways we can see it acting in the collective is um, with... Uh, like collective assumptions or expectations or or norms being um, in a state of decay, like we might see them um, crumbling or dying and then transforming. And so the people who are natives of the generation um, do the work of experiencing the death, being the death, but also being the transformation. So Libra is a sign that, um, you know, when you when you see the glyph, it's the scales of justice. And so think a lot about, you know, fairness, justice, literally the justice system, but also relationships, um, and the idea of marriage. So being born in the seventies, you're part of the first kind of generation of folks who really experience, you know, divorce in a, a very large, more common way. Um, you're the group of people that's, you know, really pushing gay marriage forward that, you know, bring about terminology and understanding for, um, like, transgender or non-binary you know the bringing language and concept which libra as an air sign um, describes so as a an individual who lives um you know on earth for a brief period of time like these collective energies are going to move through you and manifest through you um and they obviously are but they're also manifesting in the world around you um and so your generation um are in large part, like a group of people who've been doing incredible transformational labor and like a lot of work to transform institutions mm. and systems and concepts of justice and the interweaving of many different mm. kinds of justice. Um, so I'm, I'm also curious about how you feel and experience your work within this larger momentum. And if you I, I even identify as being part of a generational force um, and you know, and if you do, like, um, how how do you feel that generation? Like, who are your teachers and um, present guides, and how does working within them or working within your community kind of support and inform your work? It's a long rambling question.
1: <laughs> no, but I think I think I understand. Yeah, I think I got it. Um, well, number one, wow, that's um, exciting to hear a bit about the Uranus and the Pluto, Scorpio, Libra. Um, it it makes a lot of sense in my life. As as you're speaking, it was just like, wow, I was resonating and I had to write a few of those words down. Um, Because when you talk, when you spoke about um, some of us doing that work and it like sort of being embodied within us, Mm -hmm. um, it's taken literally 42 years (laughs) as of last month to understand that it happens also within me. You know, like the grief and the, and the, the sadness and needing time away or coming really close up front um and again and not in a narcissistic egotistical way but rather just like literally as like a conduit yeah. like it going through us and my body um and i'm still trying to understand that you know how that's possible um but i do think that it informs my work and i do think that the multiple and i'm not talking about literally like physical people deaths but like the multiple deaths and like Phoenix energies that I've experienced in my life have informed my work. And they've been very synonymous with massive things happening in the collective, if mm-hmm. that if that makes any sense. Um, so I think another piece in terms of your question is, is that yes, I do think that a lot of people in my generational years um, are all about like doing it different. I, I think that it's it's like sort of a spiral, and we're back here again. And 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 I, I, I wonder if this was also happening with people in the twenties or the more, like. Like, you know, when else was this happening? This sort of like resistance, like uh-huh. we had enough. Um, and to be honest, I, I mean, like I'm just laughing because I'm like I felt like that like my whole life. Like this 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 could be done. And again, not in a oh I can do it better, but rather isn't there a more efficient way to have us learn in school? Like, why are we all sitting here when we need to be moving or experiencing it somatically? Like, I remember being in fifth grade being like, can I just like sit in the back of the class on the floor and write? And they were like, if you want a detention, you can. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) it's always sitting in the back and everyone like, oh, because I was like also really smart and just, I loved school. I just did, you know? And I just went in the back and took my book and wrote and then used detention to write. (laughs) I was like, I don't have to be home and deal with the crap going on there. So yeah, I'll take your detention. That totally benefits me. Um, But I don't want to sit in the chair because it hurts my back and I have my period. Okay. Like, you know, and so like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's, I feel like it is the energy that, that it, it like comes forth, not just through me, but a lot of other people in my generation and in current generations where we're just like, nope, it doesn't work. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but boop, we're not doing it that way anymore. And it almost isn't like overthought. It It, it isn't like this over planned out, thing I think it's so imbued and embodied with spirit or intuition or unit whatever we want to call it it's so in, like embodied and from the bottom and the top and the, the ground and the top that I don't believe that we're conscious that we're always engaging in this manner It just feels natural that all people should have equity It feels natural that all people should be able to be um, and express the gender in which they are or not um, and I think that some of the people, I think there was a question around the people that are, are um, kind of role models. Is that part of the question or, or people? Yeah, that are- I,
0: totally. It could be role models or, um, you know, current collaborators or guides. Just, you, you know, who, who are you in community with and how do you yeah. feel your work arising in community?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I know this might sound really odd, but a lot of my community are often also the people that I serve, even if I'm not hanging out with them and eating, you know, having a coffee or something. It's, it's also like constantly learning and having authentic relationships with like everyone that I come into contact with. I don't have capacity for small talk. Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, I think a lot of us don't but I really don't (laughs) like (laughs) like I start getting fidgety and I was just like "Uh uh-huh well how do you feel how do you feel like like I just want to like I just want to know um and part of my community is also the people of literally my city you know um and um people that that were my students 10 years ago are now like some of my closest friends in a healthy way not in a like hanging out with them when they were my students but I think that we were like drinking from the same river, yeah. which is like revolution and which is like freedom for all and um, emotions and feeling and working on your stuff and intergenerational curse breaking of the real kind need to be done. And people that speak that language I can fall in love with mm-hmm. on a, on a heart level, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not talking romance. I mean like it's
0: really easy
1: for me to just fall in love with people.
0: As you were talking, I was, um, you know, again, kind of, looking at your chart, listening to your words. And, um, so at 42 is, is when people go through another astrological developmental phase, like the Saturn return called the Uranus opposition. You know, there's always shit going on in astrology. It's like, there's, you, <laughs> it's how we stay always in business, right? right? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's always something happening. Like um, yeah. So the Uranus opposition, Uranus has, um, an 84 year Cycle around the sun, and so at forty-two, it reads its, its opposition point, and so it opposes your natal placement. And mm-hmm. so, for you as a Uranus Scorpio native, um, now Uranus is in Taurus, and so the opposite sign, and um some astrologers who i really admire talk about this being a time when the soul fully incarnates mm. and where you know we've worked through enough of our kind of like muddling around figuring things out going off on you know whatever paths we need to go off on to do whatever kind of tests we need to do to get to the point where we go oh this is what i'm here for this is what i'm arriving for not that everything else wasn't already part of it because it was but there's a distillation process and so you used some words, um, you know, that are so Uranian, like revolution and freedom. Um, and as a as a person that seems quite Uranian in many ways, um, I'm looking at your um, uh, transit Uranus now in the ninth house, the opposite of the third. And in the ninth is um, the place of teaching and the place of high teachings and wisdom and uh, spiritual paths and yeah, I'm, I just I don't know if I have a question in there at all. I'm just <laughs> kind of <laughs> reflecting and thinking like wow, you're you're on this journey of synthesis it sounds like and mm. um feels yeah. exciting. Yeah. I'm I'm curious in in your own experience but definitely working with the folks you've worked with, how has um doing work around vulnerability and trauma um related with developing intuition like hearing your own intuition or in you know with your clients or your students your peers do you see that happening like what's the relationship between trauma and intuition
1: I think it's I think it's massive I think it's a huge cord um I have noticed for myself and the people that I work with um that we have been taught to, we've been conditioned, uh, you know, or brainwashed, whatever you want to call it, um, to believe that there are certain ways that are right and certain ways that are not. um, And that many of us have been gaslit and gas, you know, gaslighted into believing that what we feel or what we immediately sense is not correct because it is not imbued in in an intellectual cognitive state, you know, like, like fertile ground, you know, like, think this out, write a list, think it through, how much is it gonna cost? Um, I think it kills some of the child, the inner child in us. Mm -hmm. I think it diminishes our ability to play and make decisions at the same time and trust while we're doing that. Um, And I think that trauma, which takes, as we know, so many forms for so many people in so many different ways, um, really makes it hard to even listen to our bodies and trust ourselves. And so I think that that is a coming home process in itself. Um, For instance, um, many of the students that I work with, I realized that some of the ways I was doing harm, again, unintentionally, unconsciously was saying like, check in with your body, listen to your body. Okay, take a deep breath, listen to your body. Now, for someone that has been disembodied and dissociating for their majority of their lives, some of them would be like, nothing. And I'd be like, nothing, are you sure? Like, and I would push that. Are you really, really nothing? Like, and the reality is when I think about myself and when I think about, I remember trying to start like intuitive eating. And for me, it was like, wait, I remember telling somebody one day who I was working with, what, like, I'm not connected to my body at all. And it hasn't been safe to be connected to my body at that time. You know, like it hasn't been safe to be connected to my body at all. So. When you ask me to like listen or to just like stop eating when I'm not hungry, I'm always ravenous. Like I don't know, like I'll just keep eating. Like even if I'm throwing (laughs) like even if I'm sick, I might still keep eating hypothetically, but not, you know. So, um, because I always felt like I had this big gaping hole, you know, Mm -hmm. until I like sat and went into the hole and was, was into the nothingness and made friends with the emptiness. Um it was never fillable not with relationship you know not with therapy not with spiritual healing not with anything not with food so when I think about the folks in which I work with um, trauma is everywhere in how the police may engage with our bodies right how teachers engage with maybe our dialect or slang um, it is in the ways in which our parents or caregivers or foster parents tell us that we ain't shit or that we don't know what we're talking about or to stop talking to your damn therapist about our shit here. I'm going to bust your ass. Like it is all like all around us. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the really sensitive nonverbal, like nine, 10, 11 year old black boys that are like watching this in the world right now. Like that always makes me really emotional. You know, when I think of these like that age, I mean I think it's for mm-hmm. all kids. When I think of this age of like no enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like, oh wait, I'm scared, and they can still say, Hey grandma, mom, I'm scared, like I feel scared. Like I think of them when I think of all kids that are just like, Oh wow, I'm a threat, or or like it's dangerous to be me. And that like I remember when I had that moment, like, wait, I'm not being treated does anyone see this? Does anyone gonna say anything? I'm not being treated the same. Like, wait, this is dangerous. Like, uh oh, like no one's going to help me because the people that are supposed to help me are doing this. Like, so I, I keep thinking of them when I do this work, you know, and I keep also thinking for some reason, and I'm just telling you what comes in my head. I'm not saying everybody should think about this, but for me, I don't know. I just see this, like, small, vulnerable, but like fun, playful, you know, when you dance weird and you don't care if anybody sees and you know, just like goofball and you're kind of not at puberty, puberty, but you're considering things and like that age and just like how heartbreaking it must be to realize that just like your mere identity can be seen as a threat and a problem. Mm -hmm. And what does that do to that baby's vulnerability? You know, what does it do to that child's sense of safety in a world that's supposed to be safe when kids, you know, are being pulled out of their school and detained and sent back to countries without their parents knowing or, you know, in the the internment camps that we have, (laughs) you know, like, you know, in these camps that we have, like, this is happening here and now in 2020. And so, like, how are these kids supposed to feel safe when every which way that they turn, if it's not them, then it's their friends could just be like taken from them or their teachers or their parents. I can't tell you how many students that are like, I'm here, but I can't really talk about what I need to talk about. And even though, even though I'm like reiterating, like, this is confidential. The only way I would have to breach confidentiality is I felt like you were going to hurt yourself, like seriously hurt yourself, not just like talk about it, but like seriously hurt yourself, or you're going to go and like stab, shoot, maim, you know, someone. And I I make it really clear. And then they're just like, I hear that. But I'm like, I get it. Okay. You can't tell me. And then like, they'll talk around it. I'm like, well, you could tell me about your friends. You can tell me about. And -hmm. sometimes I have therapy sessions with people for like a year, year and a half before they're like, I'm talking about me. I'm like, you are. Yeah. Because sometimes I have to be honest when I think of vulnerability, I also think of times when i'm like scrolling through mindlessly which happens right (laughs) and i have to catch myself and be like whoa let me get off what's happening um and i see like pictures of people that are doing this or doing that or frolicking and don't get me wrong i love a good frolic pic you know (laughs) and i try to (laughs) on my personal page i probably have a few of those but i'm also thinking like i'd love to hear a little bit more about like you know the vulnerability the pain You know, and I think that that's what therapy, social work, um, nursing, um, teaching. I think that that's what we can all use is a lot more humanity building, a lot more of humanization, a lot less, um, machinery Mm -hmm. and just like overburdened, like, this is how it is. And you're not going to get anything from me. Um, and I think we will find that the people, the students that we're working with or the, the adults, whoever, the families that we're working with, the sick people we're working with. I think that we'll find that people are ready, ready to open and like kind of blossom to us if we're just like humanize ourselves yeah. <laughs> and, and like practice that vulnerability and practice not needing to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that whiteness and white supremacy inherently is quite competitive, right? We know that that's a manifestation of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about internalized white supremacy. Like one of the manifestations is that competitiveness, as well as that need to have it all together, right? You know, and for many, many, many years, I think many folks of color have, And I'm not saying that we that we don't have that as well, but have tried to like force ourselves to be that way too so there's that like deconditioning of like wait i don't need to be like that either you know what if i'm just myself so on my on my ig page i just aim to be me in whatever mood i'm in when i'm being pushed to post it's like what do i need to hear (laughs) and what i need to say and i don't know literally who needs to hear this but even if it's five people fuck it five people will be transformed by this or or be moved or touched by it, and then I've done my work. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, at the beginning when I asked you about this, you know, role that, that you have as a person who works with the collective, um, you also have that in your chart. I don't know if, if you're aware of that. Your cancer son is in the 11th house, which is the place of um, large groups of people, and, um, you know, the the imagined ideal of society. Like, what could this look like if we just, like you were talking about having this awareness that, oh my gosh, we could be functioning so much more efficiently if like, if such and such, you know, that this vision of what could something be like um, is the 11th house and the 11th uh, house is associated with the 11th sign, Aquarius. And you have Aquarius in your sixth house, which is the house of jobs and day-to-day work. And so I I don't know, I mean, yes. (laughs) Your, your ancestral team put you on the path and um, an astrology chart confirms, you know, like you can't not be in that collective space. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a Cancerian being, like your, your ability to be personal and like sensitive to what's, to what's in the person is, is right there in the collective eye, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's this bridge with the collective
1: yeah that makes sense it, it just what comes natural you know uh, um, i don't know if you like you know on, on, on instagram and one of the things i do love, love about social media is this like collective i'm not alone i think that that's when we right. pass our memes around right you know me and my friends that's our love language sometimes it's like sending a meme and we're like ah, <laughs> just snatch my edges like you know even astrology memes sometimes they're cheesy but they're like they, they, right yeah. like they bring that like i'm seen Mm i am seen and i feel like i'm gonna dare say this i'm gonna but like there's this like group energy group therapy feels sometimes to social media you know and and i think that's sometimes where group therapy doesn't feel accessible in which people are like i'm not doing that that's a little too much i love group therapy like i I there's a lot of things in this world i'm not good at but group doing group therapy and facilitating Mm -hmm. it is like shine that's my chart obviously (laughs) (laughs) and I think my students would say it too that that it's just like I've had groups with them sometimes for five hours straight because something has happened or we couldn't break but I'm saying all this to say that there is this beauty in being seen you know and I think there's a lot of us now that are feeling this deep sense of like we weren't allowed to be sensitive kids. We weren't allowed yeah. to be vulnerable kids. We were told to like suck it up maybe due to our parents' generation, right? Yeah. A- and now all of a sudden like sensitivity is like a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like cool to hear people be vulnerable. And I have to admit, and I feel like this is only a recent shift. There's this sigh for me and I think collectively of like, <sighs> like we, we can just sensitive if we want to you know and then I'm sure there's some people that are just like oh I still don't do sensitivity and that's okay maybe that's their chart you know (laughs) Um, and I I love some people like that as well when they're like I don't know how you're not exhausted on the floor all day talking about your feelings and other people's feelings I can't do that Um, but I think there's a beauty on social media of people saying yes that's how I feel too And thank you for framing it in that way. It helps me feel a little less alone. And for me, I know that's not therapy, but for me, that's healing. And so I think one of my big clear goals is I want healing to come back into the helping professions. I don't feel that healing is necessarily synonymous with therapy.
0: I'm really curious about this upcoming event you have on August 22nd, and this podcast episode will not come out before it, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> but, um, so you have this event coming up called Honoring Our Sacred Rage. And in a lot of your recent posts, you've talked about the sacredness of rage and how you're working with rage. Throughout the rest of 2020, um, some pretty clear aspects describing the need to... Uh, work with rage and basically um Mm. fury (laughs) fury Mm. coming out yeah so uh mars is in aries mars and aries are both warrior combative energies um but mars will be retrograde and so it's making three contacts with a point called iris and in greek mythology iris is the goddess of discord and so i the way that i interpret as you know also trying to decolonize within astrology is that this um that this is a symbol of uh, the, the discord that arises when people are not considered, when their humanity isn't considered, when they're not treated as equal, when they're not invited in. Um, literally, there's a story about Iris not being given a seat at the table. So, mm-hmm. you know, things that are quite, I think, um, explicit in wow. their symbolism. Yeah. And Iris is a very slow moving planet. And in terms of these outer collective energies, um, It spends 90 years in one sign. And so it's in Aries for a long time. And for me, when I feel into this Mars contact with Iris, and then I'm like looking around at what's happening in the collective, and there's so much fury and rage, not new fury and rage, right? But very old but now like being really articulated, really brought to the surface. And then people like Lama Rod Owens writing a book, you know, on on rage and you talking about the sacred rage. And I feel like this overwhelm of relief because for so long, at least in the like spiritual new age therapy communities, rage Mm -hmm. and anger have been pathologized and like, you know, people are told like, oh yes. that's it's it's misplaced duh, 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 whatever and it's yes. not honored so i'm really curious about how you connect with rage and like what this energy is in your understanding and what it can do and what you're yeah what you're curious about it and-
1: yeah great great that's beautiful um and i love lama rod owen's book um He gifted me one and I would just like, oh, I read it in my morning Mm -hmm. meditation sometimes and just open it up and like, just soak it all in. I, I too am really, really grateful and relieved that rage is, um, having a place at the table. Speaking about your metaphor. Uh, um, yeah, I think that you've hit it right on for me. I feel the same exact way. Um, that there are a lot of energies, people's identities, ancestral lineages that have not had places at the table um, for many, 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 many eons, <laughs> um, lifetimes perhaps, dare we say, um, and the energy that I get and why I think rage is so important in not just my work, but in all of our works, is that anything that we are trying to very Harry Potter here, anything that we try to like not name right and just forget um just grows and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and scarier and harder to to contain Mm -hmm. it reminds me Again, not even thinking of the astrology it reminds me of fire energy of the South. When I think of like the medicine wheel, it reminds me of, um, yes, possibility of Phoenix, but sometimes things burn for a really long time before they can transform as we know, right? Like it's not always a pretty like, Oh, Phoenix, like here we are. Or like sometimes the ashes are there for for quite a long time. Um, it also, it just reminds me, um, of teenage years too for some reason like this like angsty i don't fit in my body but i'm really in my body and sensual but reckless but (laughs) um in your face but leave me alone but i want you here and oh i'm agitated and um I hear this from people in my spiritual community. Literally, I'm just having a whole text exchange with a friend around her agitation. She's used to being a good woman, good girl, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm seeing this with my clients, and they're just like, I could just hear their the pressure. Even if I'm not, like, the words are rambling or I'm going together, I can just feel the energy is just like, I'm going to explode. I'm going to fucking blow, Dr. Mullen. I'm going to fucking blow. I'm just like, okay, how can you blow safely? like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is that gonna look like? And then it's like usually silence, like, I, I, you know. and I think that um, therapeutically we're not taught, but it's just like conditioned unconsciously, right? Like we're just like in our collective unconscious as therapists to fear it because we're so afraid, understandably, and I just wanna say this because this, be, this can sound reckless in itself. We're so afraid of someone like going and like hurting a bunch of other people or hurting themselves and understandably because we know that these things do happen but when you know your craft and you know the people that you're working with and who you're working with you know of course if someone says this on the first session it gives everyone pause like you're just like what does that mean but if we would start to get more comfortable and deconditioned to this oh my gosh oh gosh they're angry anger means Something bad is going to happen. Da, 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 da. And, and rather, if we just realize that like literally, I think sometimes 30, 40 percent of what many people need is for the person in front of them to listen without trying to fix it all the time, immediately, or trying to um, simmer them down. Right. So half the time, I'm, I actually start sitting back, whether it's on Zoom or whether when it was in person, not now. I would sit back and I noticed that I would let my legs not inappropriately just like relax. You know, like maybe I, I and my legs are a little bit more parted. I'm just like I sit back and I let them like let it roll on me. Like not on me but just you know rather than this like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, because that just I want my body to say, my body language to say this is normal. Yeah. I want my body language to say I'm not afraid of you. And it's okay. I want my body language to say um, that this is healthy. So even if my words say it, as we know, people that are very hyper-vigilant and are victims of, of trauma or survivors of trauma, we pick up on cues, right? And on body language. So I can say whatever the fuck I want and people not believe me. But if my tone, my inflections, my body language, my energy is communicating something very different or communicating what I'm trying to say, then we all win. (laughs) That's just like a little tip from a seasoned therapist that um, my voice has a lot to do with where I want them to feel the container is going, you know, and, and we really want to be good therapists. We had to, we have to let people say what they need to say you know and if we want to be good partners we have to let our partners sometimes say what they need to say we want to be good friends or good parents i just feel like trying to police and block in the rage and try to like okay we're gonna quarantine it from 42nd street to 55th and we're gonna you know that's what it feels like and rage will say to you i'm gonna cuss like rage will say metaphorically fuck you i'm gonna you want to try to quarantine me into 10 blocks I will fucking burn it all down. Yeah. You know? And that I'm very comfortable with because that part of me lives in me too. You know, like that there's a part of me that sits on the sidelines and I love when people are able to feel their full rage because afterwards you're sweaty, you're tired, you're heaving, you're and then what comes next? Vulnerability.
0: Yeah.
1: Emotion, softness or or like I don't want to be like this. I'm so tired of fucking being angry or, or I can't be with him anymore, or they're abusive or, and that's when the work can get done. But if we don't allow ourselves, even on a collective level to say, fuck this, you're killing people. They're screaming for their fucking mothers for eight minutes. They can't fucking breathe. We can't fucking breathe. If you don't stop killing us, we're gonna fucking burn it all down. Like, like stop. And like, you're not just, just killing us with the police. That's, to me, it's real. It's real. And it's also just a microcosm with the way that we have been being systematically, emotionally, psychically killed and violated and gaslit for eons, you know? So for me, the rage, And for the people that I serve, I think, not all, but many, even if we're afraid of that rage in ourselves or in others, or because we had like an alcoholic parent that would like go on vendors and like hurt people when they were enraged or hit the wall or other things that we won't talk about. Like, even with all of that, I think that rage is saying, you will fucking talk about me. You all will. Not necessarily bow to me but like bow to your own rage (laughs) you know bow to your own not to each other's but you're going to get to your knees and honor that there were things you did not get not only as a kid your inner that's why i talk about the inner rage child but also our ancestral lineage that we're not even conscious of the intergenerational material and matter within us from our DNA helixes, you know, we're talking epigenetics here to the way that it's been role modeled by our parents, the direct and indirect methods of the trauma that have been intergenerationally transmitted. Our ancestors are like, there will be a reckoning, you know, and it doesn't have to hurt and it doesn't have to be like, curses on people's houses and things like that like i think it's much more we are going to make space for the unlistened to is what i keep hearing we are going to literally part things like this and stop things <laughs> so that our progeny our people our land can start speaking again and if you don't listen to our earthquakes and to our hurricanes because I mean, make no mistake, I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about like sentient sentient beings of like animals and trees and earth, right? Like like, she's with us, like with us, like talk about being exploited. (laughs) Who if anyone knows exploitation, it's mama earth and the oceans and right? Like our pollution, our skies, like talk about decolonizing it's so much bigger than us. Um, I'm sorry, I'm laughing to myself because I'm just like, it's so deep, it's so deep. And when we think about it, like storms raging, when we think about like hurricanes, when we think about earthquakes, I'm just saying to myself, we just, we haven't been listening, you know? And some of us, right? Of course, there's always chunks and groups of people that are out there that people think like, oh, they're bonkers and now people are getting that are, are amazing eco people, that are eco environmentalists, like that are risking their lives all the time on the line, whether it's a polar bear or whether it's a beautiful elder tree that somebody wants to knock down or the Amazon. Like now we're realizing that the people that we've relegated to like, oh, that's a little extreme. It's not extreme at all. That, that some, some of these people and some of us have been A bit before our time, you know, and we're glad that other people are catching up. But frankly, we can't also be slowed down. And I say this with love, you know, like just because some people are starting to catch up to the level of oppression on this planet and this multiverse, actually, it doesn't mean that we have to like stop and wait for everyone to like kind of get it. And then we proceed. What I keep getting loud and clear is that that's the purpose of the rage and maybe the Aries and all that. That fire is like, This train needs to keep moving. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of. I'm not trying to be like fear tactic or like of how bad this can get. Yeah. If we don't begin to really listen to Earth, to each other, to our bodies, to our traumas. To the most oppressed and not because this is the oppression Olympics and it's like, oh, this always happens to this group or this. No, because who gets the world more than a very oppressed person because you have to constantly not only understand yourself, but the environment and people around you to survive it's exactly what you asked about the vulnerability and paying attention to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like what happens when we start reconnecting with our intuition, we start reconnecting to how the body feels around certain people, places, rules, and policies. When the body starts really becoming our best barometer once again, because I think so many of us have been conditioned not. And we start realizing that, not just rage, but deep grief as well, because many of us have a hard time sitting with people in deep, deep, deep grief. You know, I think you know what I mean by that. And um, I believe that rage and grief are two sides of the same coin. They're both very sacred, they're both very ancestral. Um, I think anger is very different than rage, very different than rage in that. The anger is understandable and kind of quick and irritable. And it it kind of like, there's a reason and you can locate the reason. And you don't feel this like hangover embarrassment afterwards. Mm -hmm. But rage, um, I also need to say that rage can also look like being super dependent on something or overly devoted to something. Um, And because it's a, a safer disguise, it's safer to do that than to literally blow the fuck up you know and blow everybody out with your words or what have you and I think that the grief and the rage that we are collectively feeling right now is begging to be addressed as I I know I keep saying this acknowledged and I don't want people to just take this as a heady exercise also like an internal one if you don't live around a lot of people, I don't have that privilege. I have neighbors; they would call the cops in a second if I screamed the way that I needed to scream. <laughs> yeah, right. It would be not safe, so I tell people, "Scream in your pillow." It sounds basic, it's not. Punch the fuck out of your comforter or out of your your couch. You know, um, you know, and, and sometimes people are like, "Oh my gosh!" But I hit my hand. Tell me about that experience of hitting your hand. They were like. like I needed it I just feel like I needed that like the the, the, to like to be embodied and to let all the rage out um silent scream in the shower if that feels good to you or put on some really heavy hip-hop rap or some gangster rap or some heavy heavy metal or some whatever just really some for some people it's drumming or Mm -hmm. or their ancestral lineage chanting or people wailing or singing for me it gets me cause sometimes I'm in rage and I I have like this ancestral song that I put on. Um, I believe it is of the Igbo tradition in Nigeria. Um, and I do have um, lineage there, not a lot, but there's a a portion. And for years I'd wonder why am I so emotional when I listen to this kind of like wailing, singing, crying, Mm -hmm. and this like moan and the bell going off in the back and literally talking about it now, it brings me there. And and I can, and not necessarily like rage, but I can feel it and I can just like let it out in the way that I need to. And then just like, um, um, so yeah, that is a little bit of my thoughts (laughs) around that. And so my hope on the Saturday, August 22nd, um, when I'm talking about sacred rage is to give let people be a little bit more comfortable in understanding what are our relationships to it, you know? Um, what are our relationships to the rage, as well as what are our relationships to ourselves when we see ourselves in that messy place?
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. we don't like mess, you know? <laughs> and what are our relationships, especially where, you know, we're embodying whiteness, right? Like what, or if anybody is white, identified or white bodied, what is it like to, experience that rage and not have control whatever that means to them and is that when they become enraged is it when something is out of their control or somebody blocks a goal or says no to them or sets a limit it's very interesting to me what also stirs it Mm -hmm. and for me then i connect it to colonization Mm -hmm. you know because if we look at our separate histories um some are overlapping Right. Because yes, there were Africans that enslaved other Africans and yet, but it was not as wide and such a massive tool. And, um, it looked very different than, um, what we know today as like the institutions of slavery and how they played out. But what exactly is that like, and how, what is the relationship of rage, our ancestry, And then, like, colonization and how this plays out for us today in our bodies, in our relationships, um, and in whatever the social construct identities and races that we hold. Like, what does that feel and look like? Um, And my hope is that you know myself and others um, like Ruth King and Lama Rod Owens and I believe Rachel Ricketts is writing something around anger or rage I believe um, a book that's coming out I think it's so important for us to be able to realize that rage is a spiritual sacred practice
0: so much sense yeah thank you so much it has been such a, a thrill to talk to you Be sure to follow Embodied Astrology at Embodied Astrology on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks and tag Embodied Astrology on any posts you make. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.